Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this joint webinar between ISACOS and ABCAS on total knees replacement new technology. I'm Miles Kulikan from Sydney, Australia, Chair of the ISACOS Knee Arthroplasty Committee, and I'm joined by my co-chair, Michael Ong from Hong Kong, China. Also in the faculty is David Parker, ISACOS First Vice President from Sydney, Australia, Hiroshi Inui from Tokyo, Japan, and Sebastian Lustig from Lyon in France. The topics that we'll cover include what new technology is available, what are the reasons to change or to maintain the current tools that you use in knee replacement, the use of robotic guidance with bicruciate retaining total knee replacements, the use of robots with unis, and of course, the question of whether navigation is just as good. Please ask us questions. Um, the best webinars are those where there's lots of questions and we would like to answer your questions during the presentation or possibly in the live discussion afterwards. But remember, if you have a question, please ask. Thank you for attending this webinar. If you're not an ISACOS member, please consider joining. There's loads of benefits, but in particular, access to the 2021 Global Congress for those who join in 2022. And ISACOS also gives you links with colleagues around the world. So with that, let's begin. And our first talk is from David Parker, talking on how did robots change my practice, patient experience, who gets robotic surgery, and who doesn't? Over to you, David. Good evening, and many thanks for the invitation to participate in this wonderful webinar. These are my disclosures. So by way of background, my practice is based in Sydney, Australia. I'm in private and public academic practice. I do exclusively knee surgery, half of which is arthroplasty, so about 300 cases a year, all navigated or robotic. I've routinely used navigation since 2006 for all my joint replacements and my osteotomies. I've done approximately 4,000 arthroplasties with navigation, many using many systems, but mostly the striker precision navigation system. And as you can see from the graph here from the Australian Joint Registry, the use of navigation has steadily increased over the last 15 years. The advantages I see of navigation are improved accuracy and reducing the outliers helping with the ligament balancing, which should improve patient function, giving the surgeon real-time feedback during the procedure, helping with implant sizing and positioning, reducing patient morbidity by avoiding intramedullary rods, reducing the revision rate. Uh, we've used it as a research tool to help publish a number of papers around the topic. And I think there's a minimal downside once you get used to the system and you can make it very efficient. So it's fair to say from my background that I come from a background of being a very much a navigation enthusiast. And then along the robots came uh, a few years ago. So the emergence of robotics for knee arthroplasty within Australia, uh, the MAKO system and also the NAVIO system came around in 2015 for the unis, 2017 for the total knee replacements. The ROSA was in 2018, the Cori system in 2021 last year and the same for the Vela system. So a number of systems come, come through. And if we look at the use of robotics for unicompartmental neuroplacement in Australia over the last five years, again, you can see a steady increase on the joint registry. So I've been very comfortable using navigation assisted total neuroplacements for 15 years. I know I get good outcomes from our data. I know I have a low revision rate on the joint registry. I know our satisfaction rate is high. I have minimal complications. I have a very efficient process. And I have some skepticism because we've tried other innovations that were meant to be very good, such as PSI. And if many years ago, when we looked at this for the first time, 
and we examined a couple of systems, we found that they weren't particularly accurate. So I think we need to look at new technology very carefully. So why would I move to robotics? If we look at the motivations that we have to change our practice, they really should be to improve patient outcomes or to improve practice efficiencies. We wouldn't, we shouldn't really be too worried about maybe increasing business or pressure to keep up with surgeons that we see doing this down the road or in advertisements. So we need to have the right motivations to change practice. And if your current practice is working, think very carefully about change and what I'm trying to achieve. I hear this a lot from surgeons that my results are so much better with the robot, but really how much better you can be depends on how good you are currently. So if we look what the robots are said to achieve, well, precision of alignment, improved balancing, better implant sizing and positioning, reducing the soft tissue trauma. So most of this, in my opinion, can be achieved with navigation, particularly if it's image-based and careful surgical technique. But I do, however, accept that this is clearly part of the future. So I think we may need to consider jumping on board, but make the right decision to get the timing right. My personal motivations for using a robot is it's a fairly natural progression from the striker navigation system. I think it can help with improvements of planning the implant size and position with the balancing in real time and dynamic. If we're trying to do neural alignment strategies that require increased precision, I think it can be very helpful. I don't think the precision is necessarily gonna be that much better than we get with navigation but it does collect a lot of data that we can use for research. There is a downside, there's increased time. And if we want to change to a certain robotic system, we might need to change the implant we use. And it certainly disrupts the routine that we're already used to. But if we are comfortable with both robotics and navigation, then we can give a unbiased opinion as to what we think is the best for each patient. So moving towards robotics, I do my due diligence. I look at the reported outcomes. And obviously if we go to Stryker and get their outcomes, they're going to give very positive outcomes. And it looks very promising. It looks like the results are a lot better. But then even if you look at published results, you need to look very closely because more than half of these are actually conflicted because they're sponsored by industry and often not published in the best journals. So not the best quality of research. So looking at evidence, we really need to look for unbiased evidence to support what we do. We published a systematic review of the use of computer navigation and robotic assisted neuro placement, looking at the advantages of each a couple of years ago. And we found quite a lot of evidence for computer navigation, improving alignment and outcomes and reducing a revision rate, but not evidence at that stage too much for robotic use. However, if we look at the Australian Joint Registry over the last few years, we are seeing a small but significant difference in revision rate using a robot for unicompartmental neuro placement and for total knee replacement. So there is a building evidence for using robots. If we're asking what type of robot should you use, there's a lot of things to consider. And we published this last year, looking at all the different systems and the different aspects of each system. And there are a lot of things to consider. Uh, is your system image-based or image-free? If it's image-based, does it use CT or X-ray or MRI scan? Does it do just the femur or it does femur and tibia? And what is the balancing and the planning software? Is it a software that you find useful and helps you? And does it come with a cutting tool or do you use an independent saw or do you use a burr? Many things to consider and very big differences between a lot of the different systems. My current practice is that I use the MAKO system for a unicompartmental replacement. That's only about 5% of my joint replacements. And with my total knee replacements, I use the striker navigation system with a Smith nephew implant. And I'm about to start using the Corey system, which I think looks promising. And if I'm doing a triathlon CR implant, I use the MAKO system. And the decision between these depends on the patient's 
preference. It depends on what I think is the best implant for the patient and also the availability of the system. I don't have a robotic system in the public hospital. My personal impression of the outcomes over the last two years, I've done about 100 MAKOs versus about 500 navigated. And I think the robotic outcomes are good, but there isn't a clear difference compared to my navigator patients at this stage. A longer time frame and larger numbers will certainly be more meaningful. And there is a multi-center RCT going on in Sydney this year. Has it changed my practice experience? Not really a lot. It's just another option to discuss with the patient. And I think we can take an unbiased position if you have experience with all the systems as I do. And I think before changing what you currently do, it's very important to study the systems and investigate the independent evidence, experience the systems, ask yourself, is it clearly solving a problem that you're currently having? And is it going to improve your results? And then obviously if you change, then you want to monitor your results. There's a long way to go. I think there are areas for improvement with robotics. Reducing the footprint size is a very big footprint with these systems. Faster registration with better, less invasive trackers is, is a big thing. Algorithms to improve the alignment and the balancing, intraoperative assessment of balancing, and a data collection system and integration of the data for a feedback loop to improve the algorithms that we use to plan and execute the surgery. And surgeon control over this is very important. So technology is here to stay. Use of an enabling technology will continue to increase. And you can see this in Australia, the red line is instrumented neuroplasticity. So gradually decreasing in robotics and navigation is continuing to increase. It should lead to improved, more consistent outcomes. You need to carefully evaluate any new technology at the advantages and the downsides. You need to have an unbiased selection of what you think is the optimal system for you and your patient then needs to have appropriate training and introduction and responsible use of data for improving patient outcomes. And we need to really improve the efficiencies for this to remain economically sustainable. I'd like to thank you for your attention. I'd like to invite you to our ISACOS meeting next year in Boston. And we're also having an arthroplasty meeting in Chile at the end of this year, which everybody would be very much welcome to. Many thanks. Thanks, David. Excellent talk. Our next talk is from Dr. Michael Ong from Hong Kong, China, and Michael's going to talk on robotic bicruciate retaining total knee replacement, experience and gait analysis. Michael. Today I'm going to talk about the robotic bicruciate retaining knee arthroplasty, the experience and gait analysis. And this is my disclaimer. As it's well documented that 20% of patients are unsatisfied of the total knee replacement. The altered kinematics and reduced proprioception can be contributing factors. The ACL is a relative factor for knee kinematics, and the proprioceptive qualities may play a significant role. The bicruciate retaining total knee replacement, the BCR, preserves ligaments and minimizes bone resection. They have been shown to produce motion patterns more like a normal knee. And the journey to XR demonstrated similar varus valgus, internal external laxity when compared with the normal knee. So the relationship between the articular surface and ligament attachments affects the ligament function. And a well-balanced knee is particularly important for the low constraint design that relies on ligaments for stability. And therefore, Restoring the soft tissue tension and jawline preservation are crucial when retaining the ligaments. So for the conventional method, a lot of it is based on the surgeon's tactile judgment. 
we use different thickness trial inserts for the assessment of the flexion extension gaps. Whereas with the aid of the robotic system, we can perform real-time planning and gap assessment. We can optimize alignment and the balance. And potentially, this can lead to a more reproducible results. The registration will be done via surface mapping, which does not require any preoperative imaging. And the location of the ACL footprint can be identified and marked accurately. This makes the procedure more straightforward when comparing with the conventional system, which uses the jig as shown in the clinical photo on the left. The implant size and the positioning can then be determined with the consideration of the flexion and extension gaps. Up to this stage, if the XR was deemed unsuitable for the patient, the program can still be easily switched to an alternative implant. The burring system gives the maneuverability for us to safely remove the bone around the ACL footprint. At the end of the operation, both the range of motion and tension can be verified. The first XR was done in Hong Kong back on the 2nd of February 2021. And the first robotic-assisted bilateral XR was done almost one year ago. So the indications for XR, as suggested by the manufacturer, included four aspects, the deformity, the soft tissue, the bone stock, and the BMI. We consider integrity of the ACL, minimal osteoporosis, and the degree of deformity to be particularly important. But in our clinical practice, it's not unusual for us to perform XR for patients with deformity of up to 15 degrees. So preoperatively, the ACL was assessed clinically and intraoperatively, it was again assessed with the pull test. The postoperative results show significant improvement of the knee society score, the KSS and the function score. The improvement for KSS was achieved sooner, whereas most of the improvement for function score was achieved at three months postoperatively. This is one of the example file cases. This is a 66-year-old gentleman with unilateral osteoarthritis of the knee. This patient showed a much improved gait, both at two weeks and six weeks postoperatively. And this improvement was continued when he was reviewed again at three months postoperatively at the clinic. And this is the second case. It's a 62-year-old gentleman with bilateral OANEs. And he shows significant improvement early postoperatively after bilateral XR knees. And left is when he was walking quite steadily with frame at day three postoperatively. And by two weeks, he was pretty much walking unaided. Despite the difficulty of COVID, we managed to invite patients back at six months postoperatively for further assessments for the gait analysis. We included level ground walking at a self-determined speed, stair descending with a height of 10 centimeters, and five repetitions of sit-to-stand test. 
Comparisons were made between the XRN and a bicruciate substitute implant, the BCS, as well as a normal control without knee pain. Data collect was collected for maximum knee angle and the knee motion in terms of flexion extension, ferrous valgus, internal external rotation during level ground walking, the sit to stand test, and the stair test. We also recorded the time required for the five repetition sit to stand test as a functional assessment. The XR knees, when compared with the BCS, showed less ferrous valgus movements during walking, sit-stand, as well as the stair test. And they also showed to require a shorter time to complete the sit-stand test. So in conclusion, when compared with the BCS, the XR gait analysis showed better ferrous valgus stability and a better sit-stand test. So can XR knee be done without enabling technology? The answer is yes. Can conventional method for XR knees achieve good results? In experienced hands, yes. So what's the benefit of a robotic system? Well, it can provide live intraoperative feedback to limit the deviation from preoperative surgical planning. So what that means is more precision for bone cuts and soft tissue tensioning that is required for XR knees. It is a tool that is surgeon controlled rather than surgeon dependent. So hopefully that can achieve a more consistent, better result for a wider group of surgeons and hence can lead to an improved overall standard of healthcare. Thank you. Um, I would like to invite uh, our next speaker, uh, Dr. Hiroshi Inoue for his uh, talk on enabling technology assisted by cruciate retaining knee replacement, optimizing alignment with enabling technology. And I would like to remind all the audiences if they've got any questions, feel free to pop into Q&A box, uh, uh, Q boxes, okay? Thank you, Dr. Hiroshi. This is my disclosure. As you know, in the native knee, the AC and PCA play a major role in joint stability and kinematic through the range of motion. Screw home movement, medial pivot motion, and bicondral roll back are seen during the knee extension deflection movement. And this is a 2D, 3D analysis of squatting motion of UKA. The in vivo kinematic of UKA is very close to those of normal knees. However, the indication of UK is severely limited to anteromedial OA, and the ratio of UK is about 20% of all the knee arthroplasty in our hospital. I wanted to further save the ACL because I know the merits of preserving the ACL from the experience of UK cases, and I started performing BCRTKA. I choose Janet XR because XR has an underfoot surface geometry. I believe Janet's XR with anatomical design will achieve uh, excellent clinical results. Most of the patients of BCRTKA were satisfied with their knees. However, maximum flexion angle of XR is not so good and smaller than that of UKA or BCRTKS. And uh, the distribution of satisfaction score shows that there are several cases of poor satisfaction. 
And this is a kinematic pathway during the squatting motion of VCRTK. Suddenly, it shows a good medial pivot motion pattern. However, compared to UKA, which is more similar to the kinematics of normal mean, of course, UKA. To improve the clinical results of VCRTK, I want to know the appropriate surgical handling to bring out the potential of journey to XR. I evaluate the relationship between soft tissue balance and the clinical results of 36 cases whose soft tissue balance was assessed using the knee balancer. I assess the correlation between joint rachicity at each flexion angle and the clinical results at six months post-operatively. And this is the summary of the results. This result showed not only medial stability, but also lateral moderate stability is very important for the success of BCRTK. Then, what is the best way to achieve both medial and lateral stability? Between 2017 to 18, I aimed for the mechanical alignment. I focused only on the medial stability. However, I couldn't control the lateral stability. Since 2019, I changed my alignment target to functional alignment. Functional alignment is a modification of kinematic alignment. It aims to restore the joint line height, achieve balanced flexion extension gaps with equal medial-lateral soft tissue tension by manipulating bone resections and fine-tuning implant positioning using CAS. I want to show you the abstract of my surgical procedure of the functional alignment. Janitz XR has an anatomical geometry and the distal femur of the medial side was 9.5 millimeter and the lateral side was 7 millimeter. And this is the OA femur. Because of the cartilage defect of the medial side about up to two millimeter, the necessary amount of the distal cut was about seven to eight millimeter for the medial side and seven millimeter for the lateral side. I checked the amount using navigation system. After cutting the distal femur, I insert the spacer block which has the same surface as a distal part of the femoral component of XR and reduce the knee joint, then apply valgus stress and varus stress, and check the medial lateral lachicity at this time point using the navigation system. If the medial lachicity and lateral lachicity were equal, we should cut the tibia parallel to the joint line. However, journey to XR includes three degrees medial slope and mild lateral laxity should be preserved. Therefore, we cut the medial tibia plateau by eight millimeter and lateral by 11 millimeter. Articular surface of the lateral tibia plateau should be the base of the joint line. Therefore, the amount of lateral plateau should be always 11 millimeter for the virus mean. Like this, I take the medial and lateral lachicity into consideration and decide the cutting amount of the medial side. When the valgus stress is more than valgus stress, we cut the medial tibia by five to seven millimeter. And when the valgus stress is more than valgus stress, we cut the medial tibia by nine to 10 millimeter. 
After cutting the distal femur and proximal tibia, I assess the gap balancing using the knee balancer, which can measure the medial and lateral joint gap separately. And we cut the posterior condyle, then we check the final bone gap. And after setting the trial component, we check the joint rachisity by manual stress, and then check the component gap at all flexion angles. And finally, we check the joint rachisity using navigation. This slide shows the post-operative alignment. The tibial coronal alignment of FA group was 4.8 degree inverse and HKA were 2.3 degree inverse. These values are significantly larger than those of MA group. And 4.8 degree inverse might sound a little too vast. However, Janet XR have three degree medial slope Therefore, the tibial alignment of cutting surface is 1.8 degree inverse. I think about two degrees inverse will be acceptable. And this slide shows the soft tissue balance of FA globe. FA globe perceives balance fraction extension gaps with equal medial-lateral soft tissue tension. The difference between lateral and medial joint laxity is less than two millimeter at all flexion angles and better controls than MA globe. The functional alignment method for VCRTK has made the clinical results at one year better than those using mechanical alignment method, including satisfaction score, flexion angle, and several subscales of coup. Satisfaction score of mechanical alignment VCRTK improved up to 31.2 at two years. Therefore, I'm looking for the value of the satisfaction score at two years. Maybe highest satisfaction score that I have ever seen will be achieved. I hope all the XR patients will be satisfied with the operation. This is the end of my presentation. Thank you for your attention. So um, I would like to invite um, our next speaker, uh, Dr. Uh, Miles Culligan on his talk on the navigation is still the gold standard. Uh, thank you, Dr. Culligan. So let's talk about navigation. Here's my disclaimer, the most significant part of which is I've been a dedicated navigator for 18 years, um, used robots intermittently for the last four years and only consistently in the last six months. So you are going to get a slightly biased opinion from me. Um, computer navigated total knee was undoubtedly a quantum leap forward from eyeballs and plumb bobs and towers with alignment rods to instrument artillery guides and what we now call conventional instruments, which were developed over several decades and were generally satisfactory, but unlikely to improve. And of course, the issue with conventional instruments is we see non-ideal alignment, uh, even in experienced surgeons' hands. And our choice some years back was to accept uh, those failings or improve with other techniques. And along came navigation. Uh, how does navigation assist? Well, prior to bony resection, it tells us the uh, alignment of the knee, uh, the flex, flexion deformity and the range and delineates the bony anatomy. In this case, it's uh, on three degrees of, sorry, 0.5 degrees of varus or what we might call apex proximal. Uh, you can repeat that if you want to in the patient, but the, the point is you know about it. Um, during the case, it's useful for the size of the implant, the resection level, um, and you know at the end of the operation, the alignment, uh, whether the knee's out straight and some systems will tell you the kinematics. So at the end of the operation, you have a machine that'll tell you how you've gone. 
uh, some years back, this is Dr. Parker many years ago, uh, finished an operation and he and his assistants feel that they've done a good job there. You can see they think the knee's out straight, but some of my patients look a bit more like this and it's difficult to know whether the knee's out straight. And, and for that reason, I like navigation, which tells me what the alignment is and whether I've achieved full extension. So why do I use navigation? For its accuracy and reliability. Uh, it's useful for balancing. Um, it's safer for the patient because we avoid IM rods. Um, it's useful for sizing, but much more useful for teaching because on a screen, you have the problems you're trying to solve uh, and the thinking and thought processes that go into it can be discussed with your assistants and your fellows and registrars. Uh, and during the case, you know exactly what you've achieved at the end rather than weeping afterwards if you aren't very happy with things. So uh, navigation shows improvements in function, morbidity, implant survivorship, and because it survives longer, it's less expensive. And there's plenty of data to show that navigation is more accurate. And this data is all about 15 years old and there's been no need to repeat it. Is accuracy important? Well, we know that malalignment leads to failure and there's um, plenty of data about that. And of course, many from some years back when the polyethylene wasn't so good. Uh, this patient had a total knee in the 80s. I revised it in the 2000s. And you can see that that's old polyethylene. Our new polyethylene lasts longer to the extent where we can now deliberately aim for what you might call malalignment with kinematic and restricted and inverse and functional alignment. But no matter what we're trying to achieve with alignment, navigation tells us accurately what we've achieved. Uh, the axial plane is a problem. Uh, you do need the surgeon to locate the epicondyles and it's no better than conventional. Uh, Pre-op uh, pre 3D imaging does help, um, as does shape match cutting guides, which are probably uh, the major use for these. So navigation does reduce revision rates. And this data is from the Australian Registry. The two lines that you can see um, that are, um, uh, and the two lines you can see at the top here are the revision rates for patients that are under the age of 65. The gold is patients without navigation and the green is with navigation. And you can see these are diverging. So patients with navigation under the age of 65 with higher revision rates have a, um, a lower revision rate if they're navigated. The over 65 are these bottom two lines and they're not too different at this stage. So navigation is associated with a lower revision rate. And, and does that matter? Well, the New Zealanders looked at that in a, the reverse way. Uh, they keep data Oxford scores on the hip and knee replacements, and they demonstrated that for every one unit decrease in the Oxford score, uh, the risk of revision within two years increased by 9.7% for hip replacement, 9.9 for total knees, and 12% for unicompartmental knees. So revision rates and outcomes do go hand in hand. If we look at RCTs of navigation versus conventional, there's a couple that have been published. Dutton in 2008 showed improved function, improved alignment, 92% will plus or minus three degrees with navigation compared to 68 for conventional. And Peter Chung from Melbourne a year later showed much the same thing, more accurate alignment, better quality of life. So what a robot's going to add uh, to a total knee replacement. They give a great deal of information about the anatomy, particularly if they're image-based, and it's displayed in a manner that will allow the surgeon to do the operation virtually. It'll show us the gaps between the joint surfaces, and it allows for, for planning and for resection and for balancing, and for some systems, it'll even make the cut for you. 
Um, I would put it to you that this is all about the software and navigation does most of this uh, with the exception of making the cut. So what do robots add in the operating room? Well, they provide safe execution, they avoid cutting ligaments, but they still allow you to partially lacerate the patella tendon as one of my colleagues experienced. Um, it does resolve the problem of unstable cutting blocks and potentially with the thicker blades, uh, the cuts are more accurate. But there are significant disadvantages. There's a large structure in the operating room and frequently more than one with a camera and a machine. Uh, it requires line of sight from the camera to the arrays and the unit, and that means adjustments for your scrub staff and assistants. There's added time, there's increased cost per case. And if you change, it may mean changing not just from conventional to robot, but possibly also using a new implant. Um, compare that to the size of a navigation, which is much smaller. So if you are navigating and you consider changing to robot, you need to have a good reason to change as David has articulated very nicely in his talk. So what do I think the real benefits of robots are? Well, um, all of that data, the preoperative imaging, the plans from the engineer, the changes the surgeons make, all the landmark registration, the final cuts um, that are achieved, that's all that data goes into a computer as opposed to being measured like this and put up on a board. Uh, and so there's a huge amount of data that's stored there. Uh, and when that data is joined to the patient's outcomes with artificial intelligence, we'll know what are the best surgical plans. We'll look at patients that have done well, patients that haven't done well. What is it about the way we did the operation to make them either better or not better? So if you choose to use a robot, there's a number of requirements, the cost of the machine, the time to learn a new technique, and potentially, uh, the learning curve of a new implant, there's more people in the operating room, and there's a big machine that gets in the way and walk, workflow was altered. Uh, the preoperative imaging may require radiation exposure and it does take longer and that adds to the, the risk of infection. So in summary, navigation does almost all that we do with robotic surgery. It's probable that robots cut more accurately and they certainly give us more information about the knee. Uh, the real benefit will be when we close the loop between outcomes and the precise surgical details. And I suspect we will get some evidence in due course that robots do a better job and give a better outcome most of the time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Kurgan. So um, I would like to in, uh, invite our next speaker, uh, Dr. Sebastian Lustig from France, and his talk on uh, robotic unicompartmental uh, knee replacement. Thank you very much, Michael, for the introduction. Thanks a lot for the invitation. Uh, I will try today to go with you through my journey uh, with a robotic option for partial knee replacements. And, uh, you know, we've been lucky enough uh, in Lyon, France, where I'm working to be able to use the, these systems for now uh, almost 10 years. We started with the, uh, the one from Smith and Nephew in 2013, and then uh, now we have uh, also the one from a striker. So that's the, the two different options, image-free and image-based. That these are really two different systems. You know, my understanding is that uh, you have to decide between image-free, so relying on bone morphing and then having this uh, uh, robotic-assisted uh, instrument to prepare the bone. And on the other hand, having these image-based with a pre-op 3D planning and then having uh, a saw uh, guided by the robot or to prepare the bone. So two different options. 
if we discuss about uh, accuracy, I think no one is questioning the fact that uh, a robot is more accurate than the standard instruments. And when you look at this study from uh, uh, Jess Lohner a few years ago, they showed that both systems are more accurate than the standard technique. We mentioned time consuming. My experience with the first uh, 200 cases, uh, we did, as you can see here, uh, five minutes extra time, nothing really significant. I think it's, it's, it's worth it. We mentioned also the learning curve. Uh, and you see from this number of data that between eight and 10 cases usually uh, is enough to reach the steady state time with these uh, different systems. So uh, not too long. Talking about the clinical data. So we started, as I said, in 2013. So after two years, we started to have a look at our data. The first thing we had were you know, X-rays and we paid attention to the joint line. This is what you, you don't want to see. You see change of the joint line we know that these patients are not gonna do well. And the question was, can we improve the way we do the surgery with a robot? The answer is clearly yes. So this was a clear improvement of the robotic technique. We improved uh, our technical uh, you know, process. But then regarding the you know, outcome, functional outcome. So we did another study comparing 80 patients with a robot uh, with uh, the, the Navio compared with 80 standard uh, uh, replacements. And also here we found that with the robot, we decrease the mistakes, we decrease the outliers. So we have a, a, a better revision rates, but the early functional results were pretty similar between robotic and mechanical. So the X-rays were looking better, but the short-term outcome were not uh, different. So we tried to be more challenging. So we, you know, we focused on the return to sport after lateral uni, very specific group of patients, very active, wanted to go back to a sport activity. And you can see here, you know, the, some of the results. So we could prove that uh, because of the technique, we, we could control the different parameter and is it the reason for that or not, but uh, seemed to be doing better when they wanted to go back to, you know, uh, you know, sports activities. Then, you know, we question also the safety. When uh, you bring a new system in your OR, the question is, are you not going to create some uh, specific complications? So, Again, we checked the first 200 Navio cases compared with a control group. And in our experience, no specific complication due to the robotic assistance, nothing due to the navigation pin, no infection, no fracture. We had no more infections compared to conventional. So in our experience, the robot is not providing more infection. Then this was an RCT we did with Cecile Bataille here in Lyon. We compared two groups, one robotic uni with one standard you know, technique uni. And with gait analysis at six months follow-up, we couldn't prove any difference between the two groups. So that's interesting. You improve the X-rays, but it's really hard to prove the benefit when you look at the functional outcome uh, at six months. Something very interesting when you have this uh, kind of technique, and Philippe Cartier in France was a strong you know, uh, a pro, uh, you know, advocate for this combined procedure, so trying to combine things. Robotic technique is giving you the confidence to do this. So we. We started to extend our indications. We, we started to perform combined surgery, like partially with the ACL reconstruction. Uh, we also continued this very challenging post-traumatic case. You can see here a young guy uh, with a post-traumatic, you know, uh, a malunion, and we could perform this uh, lateral union. We have more than ten years uh, follow-up, and we published this uh, uh, in uh, uh, several papers uh, showing that this is a good option. But uh, a robotic option here is really helpful for that. Then uh, combining, you know, uh, uh, tibial osteotomy and partially sometimes this is something really hard to perform if you don't have a, 
uh, a robot to help you. Also, bicompartmental option uh, is interesting, and uh, robotic, you know, assistance is definitely helping you if you want to move into that direction. We discussed previously by BCR, but this is another way to maintain the cruciates. This is also an option I, I like to consider for some specific patient performing uh, two units and one session, and uh, sometimes even three portion is for some very specific condition. This was a very young patient uh, with a uh, you know terrible accident, and you can see how we could maintain the bone stock doing this uh, with the robot. So this is you know evidence we have after seven years of uh, experience uh, with the robot, and then we started to use the image-based option. option. So complete different story. You have to do a pre-op CT to do pre-op planning, and the question is: Are there any you know any benefit? Because uh, Miles mentioned to you how it can improve you know the cost or uh, create some extra time, extra work. So the question was: Is it better? Because uh, we know that uh, uh, all the technologies are not the same, and uh, we published this current concept uh, recently, trying to to see what are the you know the pros and cons for every system for portionless. And David mentioned this very clearly. You have to understand and to analyze separately each technology. And so we decided to perform this study comparing mechanical, Navio, and Mako. This was a combined study with uh, uh, my friends in Switzerland and Tillman Kalis. And uh, uh, we wanted to see if adding a, a pre-op CT was actually improving the outcome. And this is the, the, the answer. This is very clear if you look at this graph, the, the, the blue thing here is the standard. This is the Navio image-free and this is the image-based. So with image-based planning, you improve the control in every dimension. You reach close to the 100% you know, control of what you try to achieve. And you can see with the image-free system, it's better than the standard technique, but uh, uh, adding a pre-op you know, plan with a pre-op city uh, is beneficial. And we published this uh, in BGG. Uh, recently with uh, Cécile Bataille and all the team here uh, in Lyon, adding a pre-op CT for the sizing of the implant uh, is uh, providing some benefits. So I have multiple studies. Level one, that's GPGS uh, American, proving uh, how you know, uh, using the robotic technique is improving the accuracy. You have also uh, studies regarding functional outcomes. So a lot of evidence that this system is uh, also interesting. What is very interesting for me is this, is the haptic control. And the fact that because of the pre-op imaging, you can control the boundaries and you're safe. And that's very interesting, especially when you work in a, 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 you know, an academic environment, just like I'm doing, and you have young surgeons with you, and you know that you think this is going to be safe. Another interesting data, and this is very brutally honest data. You can see my numbers here stand out, 9% revision rate. So you would say this is Maybe not optimal, but this is uh, our number. Uh, 7% was what we could get with same follow-up with the Navio. And you can see all the publications with the MAKO seems to decrease the revision rate. So adding a pre-op image-based uh, plan uh, seems to improve the accuracy or at least decrease the outliers. And this is also from the Australian registry. I'm not going to comment on this, but you can see that uh, uh, MAKO seems to be also doing well for the partial knee uh, application, uh, if you consider uh, the revision rates. Finally, we did also a publication on the health economic data. And uh, uh, it seems to be that because you control the revision rate, length of stay, uh, analgesia management, inpatient costs in physiotherapy, you could also make this economically viable, uh, even in our European environment, where the cost of the machine is sometimes very hard to balance with 
you know uh, what you, you can uh, provide for the patient and uh, uh, how you can make this health economically viable. So in conclusion, I think that all the evidence and our experience in your has been proving that robotic UK is safe and efficient. It did allow us to extend our indications. Image base for me is uh, very uh, beneficial and I, I found it you know, uh, uh, even better than uh, image free for portion the application and uh, it could become the new gold standard. Thanks a lot for your attention. Thank you, Sebastian. And uh, an excellent talk, succinct and, and valuable. Um, I, I've, got a, I've got some questions uh, and I, I think this one is probably not relevant to you. Um, but certainly would be um, uh, to those that are inexperienced. What would you do in the setting where you start your case and then your robot fails? I mean, if, yeah, we always have the, um, the problem is not if the robot fails when you start the case. The problem is, is if it fails when you're in the middle of the case. That's what I mean, <laughs> what do you do? So then, well, it depends. If you're far enough in the process, you can you can always uh, you know try to finish the, the surgery. The problem is if you're 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 in the middle, uh, then it be, it's really hard to go back to the standard uh, instruments. So you might have to to switch. Uh, if it fails in the middle of a portion of the application, it can be really challenging. Then you have to find a way to finish the case. Some part of the surgery could become uh, something you do freehand, and you can have to bring, uh, you know, the the CRM to do a X-rays probably to check what you're doing. But uh, uh, honestly, I've been doing this for you know almost nine years, and uh, I had to switch very rarely. I would say probably less than ten times, uh, and every time I've been lucky enough to have been far enough in the process so I could uh, uh, just switch to the you know. Uh, uh, fine-tuning with the freehand technique. So never had a, a real issue with that, but it, it's definitely uh, something that might occur and that might be one of the challenges for sure. David, has that been a problem for you at any stage? Um, yeah, Miles, I, I can remember once, so I've been doing navigation for 15 years. I've had one where the navigation failed and I had to revert to standard instruments and I'm, I'm old enough to have been trained on standard instruments. And uh, I think it's very important that people understand uh, that. Uh, I've been asked that question before when I've given talks about navigation. I said, yeah, if, if you know how to do a near place and you understand the principles, then you know, instruments, robot, navigation, they're all the tools that we use to do the procedure. If you understand what you're doing, then you should be able to do it with any of those tools. Um, with the robotic system, I've had it fail <clears throat> with the maker once after the distal femoral cut. I was actually able to leave my pins in and attach navigation trackers and resume uh, with navigation. So uh, I, I think it's 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 the general principles of doing a neoplasm. If you've been using navigation and robotics through half of the case, then you know how much bone you've cut off. You should know where the joint line is and you should be able to resurrect it. So. Uh, but as I said, I've been doing this for about 16, 17 years, and I've had one robotic fail and one navigation fail, and both times it was easy to salvage. Do you think we could get to the situation in the future where all of our orthopaedic trainees are either robotic or navigation surgeons have never seen conventional instruments and then run into that problem? Do you think that's an issue? I, I think it's a potential issue, Miles. I mean, in Australia right now, they're still over half of neoplasmins are done instrumented. And I think 
you know, the, there aren't really any, there's hardly any robotic systems in the public system, which is where most people get trained. But I think if we get to that point, then yeah, I think it's it's probably something that we need to make sure that we understand or we teach the trainees the principles of doing a new replacement, like how you cut this, how you measure this, why you're cutting at this angle. And um, as I said, yeah, it's these are the tools that we use and we're just getting more precise tools, but we're still doing the same operation. We're still choosing an angle, we're choosing a plan, we're cutting at that plan and we're, we've just got better tools to do it now. So, so I think it's a good point. And I think, you know, we need to be able to have systems that we can revert back to. Thanks. Michael, there's a question that's relevant to you and, and for Hiroshi. It's come through on the Q&A. Um, how do you prevent the island fracture with these bicruciate total knee replacements? Well, um, I think from, from my practice, I think the way to prevent it is actually um, the robotic system helps because this helps me to very accurately kind of mark out the uh, footprint of the ACL. And obviously, with all imaging systems, it's... Um, depending on the accuracy of how you actually register. If you actually registered accurately, then actually the bone island itself is actually quite large. So that's a surgeon factor. So another point is it could be the patient factor. So if we're talking about the patient selection, I will try to avoid those patients who have got poor bone stock or very osteoporotic, because then they will have a risk of uh, having the uh, bone island fracture. Also, I will try to avoid the uh, very obese patient as well. So in terms of um, the prevention is both actually surgeons and patient factors, so both are actually important. Hiroshi, your tips for avoiding the island fracture? Yes, thanks. Uh, we, uh, I think uh, uh, soft tissue handling is the uh, uh, best way to prevent island fracture. And uh, uh, as I showed in my presentation, a functional alignment, uh, medial and lateral uh, moderate soft tissue balance uh, will be a uh, good and moderate stress on ACL. So uh, if uh, we can achieve a good medial and lateral uh, soft tissue balance, uh, we uh, we have never experienced island fracture uh, during the BCR uh, procedures. How, however, however, uh, the case is over 80 years old, our BCR TKA uh, couldn't achieve a good uh, clinical scores. So uh, therefore, I I don't think uh, it's good for uh, doing VCR for elderly people or not. I don't, I cannot, I don't know. A question has come through on the Q&A about the quality of the anterior cruciate in people with osteoarthritis. Sometimes there's some mucinous degeneration or it's a little bit shabby. Do you investigate that with imaging beforehand? And do you have a, um, uh, a point where you just abandon and proceed to a total knee? For me? Yeah. And that's, um, Michael's going to answer that question too, I hope. Yep, yep. Dr. <laughs> um, would you like to go first or should I go first? Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, yep, okay. You, you can answer first. Yeah, okay. My, yeah, my answer, uh, for complication, yeah, as I said, uh, I have never experienced any complication after I began to uh, use a functional alignment method. And the key is the soft tissue handling and the reproduction of the natural tibial slope, posterior slope, it's very important. However, we Asian population have a large or steep tibial posterior slope 
and average maybe not 7, but 9 to 10 degrees. So a larger fossil slope will increase the stress on HCL. And uh, our one of our surgical member, Dr. Yamagami, uh, published an uh, article of the potential risk of damage to the posterior structure, including posterior oblique ligament and semimembranous semi during bone resection in attempt to reduce the physiological tibial slope, especially for the patients with more than 10 degrees of tibial slope. So therefore, I think I should uh, reproduce the natural slope, but uh, we shouldn't ex exceed over 10 degrees. So I should control 7 to 10 degrees of the posterior tibial slope with the uh, key to succeed the BCRTKA. Michael? Sure, um, first continue question. Um, we have the luxury of actually both the uh, BCS implant and the uh, XR implant available in our OT. So if we book, we normally book XR plus or minus BC, uh, BCS. So we actually, well, although we can actually assess clinically, but it often sometimes during operation it still surprises us. So at that point, we can actually do a hook test, uh, the pull test, to actually check the integrity of the ACL. If it's not satisfactory, then we can, as the robotic system, we're allowed to actually change the implant um, before we start burring. So it's actually quite convenient. Then we can just basically switch it to uh, the uh, BCS system immediately. So it, it's not a big problem for me. Okay, I've got a question for Sebastian and then Michael, you might have some questions. Sebastian, you're obviously very confident that the robot will give better outcomes and better longevity of the implant. How much data do you have uh, and how long do you think it'll be before we, we're all using robots? No, I, I, you know, I, I, there are coming some evidence for partial needs now with uh, 10 years follow-up were very uh, promising. Uh, we have in the department, the first studies with the Navio with minimum five years follow-up and uh, compared to what we used to do with the standard technique, the, the outcomes, the survival rate is better. So I, I have the feeling that I, I'm doing a better job now comparing with what I used to do. Uh, the problem still is, uh, as, as David mentioned, is the, the cost and effort of uh, using robots. And you have to prove that it's beneficial for the patients, you know? So that, that's, the, that's why we need evidence, but a lot of evidence are coming. I know that we always mention that uh, we have the same evidence for navigation, but uh, uh, I, have, I have the feeling that, uh, as David said as well, that uh, the robot is just, you know, a little bit going a little bit further in the right direction than with navigation. We are just, you know, using the 90% navigation part and we're adding the 10%, you know, uh, accuracy of the cuts and bone preparation. And also the haptic control, I think, is, in, is important. Uh, a recent publication showed that the inflammatory, you know, uh, answer uh, is decreased by, you know, 50% with uh, thanks to the, the haptic control and the, the safe boundary. So I think probably uh, with all the evidence coming, uh, as you said in the future, some our young guys might be uh, trained only with navigation or, or, or robot, and then that, that might be a problem. Uh, if they don't know how to use standard instrument. I think it's going to come. And we see in France, some of the guys who are trained in uh, some robotic department, when they go in, the, uh, in working, you know, outside of the academic environment, there are actually, it's a real problem because they are less confident with the standard instrument. So we, we, I see this coming. This problem you mentioned, I think is going to be real. And uh, the, the time will come when uh, you, we will have to force them to be trained on standard technique, I think. Okay, so David, let me ask you, 
Um, put yourself in the shoes of a surgeon who's been in practice for, say, 15 years uh, and has used standard conventional instruments and been fairly happy with the outcome. Um, why should he or she change to robots at this point in time? Um, or is, or do, do you expect that surgeon to eventually retire as a conventional operator and it's a young, it's a young man's game to use the robot? What do you think? Well, I would hope that uh, as surgeons, we all continue to learn until the day we retire. Otherwise, we should retire uh, when we reach that point where we don't want to learn anymore. And I think it's uh, beholden to all of us to investigate the best techniques for our patients. Um, and I think, you know, as I said before, that these, these are tools to do the surgery better. And so you can get good results with instrumented knee replacements. You just get good results more frequently with navigation systems and probably with robotic systems. And so, and I think it also depends on how you measure your results. If you're just going on your impression, then your, your impression is not very accurate. If you have really good data and you can show definitively that your results are better or at least as good as navigation, you don't need to change, but I suspect you won't have those data. So we should always be striving to improve and we can always make our results better. And at the very least, people should try the systems and see what they can do for them. And, and you look at someone like Sebastian, who's trying all these systems, but not just having a go at each one, he's studying them and he's collecting incredible amounts of data. And there's huge amounts of evidence that these systems are better. And, and I think, as I said in my talk, that's, that's one of the reasons I wanted to use the robotic system is so I can have an unbiased opinion because I've used instruments, I've used navigation, I've used robotics. So I can be pretty clear on where the benefits of each are. Okay, Michael, have you got any questions? No, I quite like to um, supplement what um, just Dr. Parker was saying. Uh, I think we the concept of robot is not necessarily just how much better it can produce results at this current stage. Obviously, all the in better precision and everything talk about that. We a lot of times we may not see significant improvement for the long term survival of the implant, but it's actually the potential. It's actually having the better precision, and we can actually have the data from the uh, robotic system and we can cross it with uh, clinical data. So potentially in the future, we may be able to develop a kind of almost like a smarter planning tool. So hopefully we can perhaps even kind of have segregations of different types of patients and have more individualized uh, surgical planning. So I think it's, I, I don't think it, it's necessary. We need to determine whether this is far superior to what I've been doing previously, but actually how we can go forward and actually make it uh, to achieve better results. And regarding the um, worry about um, juniors, uh, well, kind of new surgeons, um, not just familiar about enabling technology and not the conventional, um, I, I agree. I think, I think that could be a problem. But potentially, I think I always, because part of my job is also to teach younger surgeons. Yeah, so um, I think it's important to actually pass on the concept, as Dr. Parker previously mentioned, robotic system just basically help us to visualize but all the concept, all the method, and all the angles why we do each thing, they all the same, the same principle with a conventional tool. So I don't think the tool will actually make a difference. Obviously, when you actually swap from system to robotic system to a conventional system, perhaps you have to learn again with the manual, which kind of which pin to put, maybe perhaps that. But the concept of how to perform a good total knee replacement should still be same and consistent, regardless of whether you're in conventional method or using enabling technology. I don't think that should change. 
you make the point, Michael, that there, there's a great similarity between the information that you get with a robot versus navigation, uh, yet it seems as though the companies that provide these tools to us have stopped developing the software for navigation and have gone ahead leaps and bounds with the information that comes back to us with robots. Um, do you think that's just something that the companies are doing or, or do you think that that's because robots are better and they just want to sell robots? What do you think? Well, I, I think potentially, of course, as in anything in life, is partially market-driven. <laughs> I think we have to be quite uh, pragmatic about all this. Um, but whether robotic system is far superior to navigation, we've done uh, clinical studies looking at our results. Um, it's not something different, but it's not worse. So I think if the cost is similar, actually, because our government is also actually, uh, our college is actually also kind of heading towards this direction of having more enabling technology and robotic surgery. Since the beginning of April, we actually have special funding to do for robotic system. So I don't think there's a, any harm because it's not actually worse than navigation. So it's no harm to actually switch to robotic system because it's got potential benefit. It may not show at this point, but I mean, it, they should still exist. But I don't, I think partially marketing and partially due to um, the robotic system potentially can do a lot of what the navigation can do, plus a little bit of extra. That's why they're investing in it. So I think it's uh, it's fair enough. Thanks. But at so, present, so results I, are having shown any different. Can I ask what um, the rate of robotic-assisted uh, knee arthroplasty is in Japan, Hiroshi? Yeah, robotic-assisted surgery is introduced uh, even in Japan. And I have experienced some cases of Navio VCR. And however, I think uh, soft tissue, uh, uh, most of the cases are very satisfactory. And uh, I think Navio or Cori or Robotics are very fantastic. However, during the operation, I was anxious about soft tissue handling because soft tissue balance of Navio is evaluated using our manual walls and work stress. I think manual stress is not reliable or reproducible. Therefore, for me, using navigation and a separate type of knee balancer is, uh, uh, is better for BCRTK. So therefore, I prefer navigation system than to uh, robotics. How many total knees, what proportion of total knees in Japan are done with conventional, with navigation, or with robots, what's what are the numbers roughly? Yeah, maybe uh, less than five percent uh, is performed using robotics, and uh, about ten to fifteen percent are performed using navigation, and uh, the conventional method will be eighty uh, percent. Okay, and and what about France, um, Sebastian? What's proportion there would be robots? What proportion is conventional and nav? Yeah, robots probably 5% max navigation, another 5 to 10% and 85% uh, uh, standard technique. Okay, and and uh, Michael in China, um, can you give us a number for, for at least for Hong Kong? Uh, in Hong Kong, I think it's similar to uh, what Dr. Lustig has. So the majority is still conventional because it's only in selected center uh, that the robotic system is available. It's not yet available across uh, the whole of Hong Kong yet for different centers. So that's one of the big limiting factors. So conventional is still the uh, mainstay of the method that they do for total replacement in Hong Kong. 
Okay, before we go, there's one last question that's come through, and that's about whether um, there's a role for robots with isolated patellofemoral replacement. I mean, that's the sort of last of the art of surgery, if you like, the patella and patellofemoral. Uh, David, do you see a role for robots in the patellofemoral joint? Well, ideally, yes, Miles, but it's, it's very tricky um, <clears throat> because um, you can't put a tracker on a patella and so it makes it very hard to register and get any basis for the computer to reference from. Uh, we've certainly tried creating like PSI guides for the patella and it's quite hard to make them actually fit properly. So at this stage, yes, it is very much a freehand. And I did, I answered the, the question, um, I think yeah. it was um, Bertrand Caper sent through a question online about that. And I think, yeah, it's, we're sort of indirectly helping the patella femoral articulation by hopefully improving you know, femoral rotation, uh, trochlear position, mediolaterally matching the anatomy and to some extent tibial rotational that still needs to be worked on quite a bit but um, I think if we can find a better way to and there will be better ways you know I think before long there won't be trackers anymore you know we'll be able to do registration like with a camera very quickly the same way your iPhone recognizes your face right so that that stuff will be here pretty soon I think and that'll get rid of trackers and things will be quicker and, and the systems need to be a lot more efficient um, because right now they're cumbersome, they're a bit slow, and they're not economically sustainable. But, but they, I think it will come. Okay, well, I think we've answered most of the questions that have come through. Michael, can I leave it to you to do the closing? Sure. So uh, that's it for the Q&A component of this uh, webinar. So with much gratitude, uh, we thank all our uh, panelists from the webinar. And thank you all who actually attended today's webinar and have a wonderful day, uh, whatever time, uh, what time you have now. And again, if you're not already a member of the East Coast, please apply for the membership. And we now turn the webinar back to the East Coast office staff for any closing updates. Thank you all.